0: Amen. Good evening. Good to see all of you this evening. Acts chapter 2. And again, as we come into Acts chapter 2, the Lord is moving. Moving amongst his people. So as Nicole mentioned, Jesus told his followers to wait for the promise of the Father In Jerusalem, and when we come to Acts chapter 2, that day now arrives. So how did the Spirit move? What did the Spirit do? What did God do? What did people do? How did they respond to this? These are all things that we're going to see in Acts chapter 2. And a lot of it, in fact, most of it is applicable to our life right now. Even though this happened a couple thousand years ago, much of what is transpiring here we can apply to our own lives. So it was on the day of Pentecost. Again, 50th day after Passover. This was significant because Pentecost was the grateful recognition of the harvest. It was a time of giving God gratitude and thanks the completed harvest that he had given his people. And notice also very significantly, verse 1, they were all together in one place. Oh, boy, if we could get that as Christians, especially when more and more people who confess that they are Christians think it's less and less valuable to come together as his people, as the church. God has always done something special when his people come together in one place. Suddenly, because many times that's the way God works. It's out of the blue. We didn't expect it. A sound, so now they're hearing something, right? Again, engaging all the senses like a violent wind blowing came from heaven. And filled the entire house where they were sitting. Permeated it. Oh, that the Spirit would permeate our house of worship. That every inch of this place, the Spirit would be. When we invite the Spirit to come, when we welcome Him in as we sung about and and worshiped about tonight, it makes all the difference in the world. When our hearts are ready and open to be opened, as we talked about The Spirit can permeate a space. Not just our lives individually, but a space. And that's exactly what was happening here. Verse 3. Tongues spreading out like a fire appeared to them. God wants to set his people on fire. We talked Sunday about the fact that those two men said, did not our hearts burn within us when he explained to us the scriptures on the road? And I don't think it's an accident that one of the symbols, if you will, of the Holy Spirit coming upon his people was tongues of fire. And notice it rested on each one of them, settled over them, hovered over It is very reminiscent of what the Spirit did in creation. Remember back in Genesis? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It's exactly what a new creation was coming. God was going to do something new, something fresh, and he was sending his Spirit into the midst of his people to bring them into a new dimension, if you will, with himself. And all of them, not some, all of them who were in that house were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, they were baptized into the Spirit. The Spirit came and they received him and he, he set up residence in them. But now comes the filling of the Spirit, the empowering of the Spirit. Now When when one is filled with the Spirit, one is under his control, primarily under his influence. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, that it's not us who are in the lead or in control or the primary influence or anything or anyone else. It is the Spirit of God that is the primary influence, and he's the one in control. And what happened at that point? they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. It is my belief that the gift of tongues in the book of Acts is different from the gift of tongues that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. And this is what causes, I think, some confusion amongst Christians. I think that there are two bestows of the gift of tongues that is mentioned and taught in the Bible. This is clearly, again, a supernatural ability for someone to be able to share the gospel with someone from a foreign country, but to do so instantaneously in their own language. It is literally... The reversal of the Tower of Babel. That's what it is. The Tower of Babel is where God spread out everyone and confounded their languages and gave them different languages. Now, to be able to get the gospel to spread as quickly as it could to Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and to the uttermost part of the world, God has them in a crossroads of the world. And remember, this is at a time where hundreds of thousands of people are surrounding and in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is is bursting at the seams with people literally from all over the known world at that time. And God, through his Spirit, gives now his people the ability to be able to speak in other languages. And this is very clear in this passage of Scripture and why it's different than the gift of tongues that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. Notice in verse 6, each one heard them speaking in his own native language. Verse 8, how is it that we hear them in our own native language? This isn't the same gift as what is recorded in 1 Corinthians. Verse 11, we hear them speaking in our own languages. Amazing. Someone who's never known in our age how to speak Chinese and all of a sudden God would come upon them and give them the ability to to speak Chinese to someone from China so that they could hear the good deeds and great deeds of God. That's what this was. And I want to go back to verse 4 because notice this is not something that they could do before the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them. It clearly says at the end of verse 4, as the Spirit enabled them. Now why I want to emphasize that is God wants to do the same thing today. He may not give you specifically the gift of being able to speak in tongues in another language to somebody from another country, but what he can do and what he wants to do is to take all of us beyond what we could ever do on our own and what only we can do and achieve and accomplish through the enablement and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I want you as members of this church, and I want as your pastor to so encourage you that as you live for God, as you serve, as you minister, that that you be willing to lay aside your fear and your inhibitions and all of that and, and even be willing to get out of your comfort zone and let God through his spirit fill you And enable you and empower you to do what only God could do through you. Do not limit your ministry, your life, your service, or anything based upon your own assessment of yourself what strengths you have or weaknesses, what skills and abilities you have, because I'm telling you, when the Spirit of God comes upon us, the Spirit of God will take us supernaturally way beyond ourselves. And I want you to be willing to go way beyond yourself. It's going to benefit all of us. So much, sad to say, tragically, so much of Christian ministry... In churches, down through history, ever since Pentecost, was simply what human beings could do, what they could accomplish, what they could achieve. I, I'll never forget what Doctor Warren Wearsby once said: "He said you could take the Spirit out of most churches, and life would go on, and ministry would go on as if nothing changed." Because for many, it's like we do and we serve, and we live, and we minister at the level that we're comfortable with and and the things that we can do, in a sense, on our own without having to totally rely and depend upon the Spirit. No, no, no. God wants to take us way beyond that. So what is it right now in your life, in your ministry, that you have to depend on God to show up or else it ain't going to happen? That's good. It should be that way. It it should always continuously be that way and be growing. What is it that only the Spirit of God is enabling you to do that you could not do on your own apart from the Spirit? This is why God wants to fill us with His Spirit. Listen, if if we're doing life in ministry, based, then why even have the Spirit? The whole reason why God gives us his Holy Spirit is so we can accomplish and achieve and do and say and all of these things, things that we could never do without him. If we're living within our own abilities and our own means and whatever, then there's really no reason to have the Spirit. Well, I'm going to come back to the reaction (laughs) of the people after the gift of tongues was given by the Spirit at the end. But I want you now to look at verse 14. This again should be an encouragement. Who's standing up and going to preach a message and explain what is going on to all those there? Peter. The one who failed the Lord, the one who denied the Lord, but the one who's been restored. The one who didn't have to forfeit anything that God had planned for him simply because he failed. Do not let your failures and those times in your life that you fall keep you from being all that God has for you because he never gives up on us. And he is a God of restoration and a God of second chances. It is our spiritual enemy that takes our failures and when we fall and tries to hold them over us so that we won't get back up and stand up like Peter and be who God saw him always to be, the rock. He stepped up. He stepped forward. And God may want you, like never before, to step up and step forward. Would it, may it be scary? <laughs> Absolutely. But we do what God asks us to do in spite of our fears and our trepidations. Because we know the promise of his spirit will enable us to do everything, and even as Nicole pointed out, he will equip us to whatever he's called us to do. So Peter stands up, he addresses them, and notice what he says You men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, know this and listen carefully. <laughs> Boy, is that even for us today. What does God want his people to do? He wants us to listen carefully and then know. Why? Because faith comes by what? Hearing. So Peter's saying to his audience, I need you to listen up so that you'll know. Know beyond all doubt. In fact, he says this over in verse 36. Notice this phrase in Acts two thirty-six. After he's ending his message or as he's getting towards the end of his message, and concluding, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt with absolute certainty. God wants to continue to grow us in what we know so that we will be more confident and certain about it. But we've got to listen carefully and yield our ears to the word of God and to the revelation of God so that he can impart faith into us. Because faith comes by hearing. And we need to have open ears, as we talked about Sunday, so that the Lord can impart this knowledge that then can begin to sweep away the doubts that we may have, and we can grow then in our confidence and certainty as we live for God. Something amazing here that we also see the Holy Spirit doing in Peter is noticed throughout this message, this sermon, how Peter is now going back into the Old Testament and how the Holy Spirit is giving him understanding to be able to put pieces of the Old Testament that he's known for years. But now he sees these passages in a new light and he sees now how these passages are actually applying to the present day and what they're going through. Folks, the Holy Spirit can do that with us as I, again, talked about Sunday. He can open up our minds so that we see the passages of Scripture and the verses in a whole new light, and we can begin to put the pieces of the puzzle that we call the Word of God together, and we can see how it forms one unit. It's not Old Testament and New Testament. It is one continuous story of God, and it all ties together. And so notice in verse 16, he said, oh, the prophet Joel, he spoke about this. How does Peter all of a sudden get this? Through the Holy Spirit. He'd read the prophet Joel, but now he understands this is that. That's what he's saying to his audience. His audience is like confused. They're like perplexed. They're like, what's going on here? And Peter, through the Holy Spirit's enablement, says, guys, let me explain. This is what that is. This is what's happening. And he's giving them understanding and knowledge of something that he could have never done before the Holy Spirit came into his life and then filled him and enabled him to do it. Notice he starts out by quoting Joel in verse 17. In the last days it will be, God says, that I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Notice he makes that same declaration in verse 18 through the prophet Joel. I will pour out my spirit in those days. What are the last days? Folks, the last days in the Bible are the days between Messiah's first coming and his second coming. So we've been living in the last days for 2,000 years. That's the last days as far as God's concern. I think sometimes as Christians, we only relegate last days to like a few weeks or a few months or a few years right before the Lord comes. No, no, no. The last days, according to the Bible, are between God's first coming and his Second coming. So for the last 2,000 years, God has sovereignly chosen at times to pour out his spirit on certain individuals, on, on certain churches, on certain ministries, and it's God's sovereign choice of who he pours his spirit out and what happens when he does. And that's why when the spirit starts to move and God starts to work, We need to be careful that we're not like, well, God doesn't work that way in my life or God didn't work that way over here. Listen, it's God's sovereign choice how he works and what happens when he pours out his spirit. But I do want to point this out. Joel emphasizes the fact that God doesn't want to just trickle the spirit. He wants to pour the spirit out. And when the spirit is poured out, You and I are overwhelmed, if you will, by the Holy Spirit's presence, and and we're just different. We're just different every day. We talk differently. We see things differently. We act differently. We serve differently. Everything that we do is different, because now we're seeing it through being immersed in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. And it's not something that, like in the Old Testament, where the Spirit of God just came upon them for a time to help them to achieve the role or the calling that God had for them, but then would leave. That's why David said, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. That can't happen today. When the Holy Spirit comes with you and I in the New Testament, we are permanently sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, Paul says, until the day of redemption. The Spirit of God cannot leave us. Once He indwells you, you're indwelt permanently. But He can pour out His Spirit. And notice, when He pours out His Spirit, again, these people are doing things that they could never do on their own. Sons and daughters, verse 7, will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream de- dreams. They will perform wonders. I will perform wonders. Verse 19, in the sky above, miraculous signs on the earth. I mean, and then verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, many relegate that verse to just salvation. And that certainly can apply here. But folks, that means you and I can call on the name of the Lord and be saved at any time. Because salvation isn't just that moment you and I accept Christ. We need deliverance and rescue throughout our life. And all we have to do is call on the Lord and he will rescue us, he will deliver us, he will save us. But then you get to verse 22. And not only is he saying, this is what's happening, folks, and this is exactly what God said would happen in his word. Notice something here, too. The Holy Spirit is already taking the knowledge that Peter has because he read the Word of God and internalized it, and now he's bringing it to light and giving him deeper understanding of it. That's what God wants to see in our lives. God wants to see us do our part and be responsible and be diligent to immerse ourselves in the Bible, but then God will take what we have read and what we have studied and he will bring even new light into it and then will give us opportunity either in our own lives to to encourage ourselves with it because we see that this applies to this situation in my life and I can take comfort and encouragement and assurance from that. Or, like Peter, I can share that with somebody else and say, let me show you from the Word of God what is going on here. Let me explain this to you, you see. But what is the central character in Peter's message? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Because when the Spirit is working and the Lord is moving, Jesus Christ will always be exalted and magnified. So notice what he says in verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to the word. Jesus the Nazarene. Peter's not, he said, look, there are many Jesus's Jewish name. I'm telling you it's Jesus the one from Nazareth, the one from the place where, what good can come out of Nazareth? Well, I'll tell you. The Messiah came out of Nazareth, Jesus. And this is what God did. He clearly attested that Jesus was the Messiah. But verse 23, you handed him over, but God raised him up. Verse 24, I love that. You all, you, 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 the Roman authorities, the Jewish authorities, you thought you were going to get rid of him. You thought you were putting him to death and getting rid of him and laying him out. No, no. God has the last word, but God. Every time I come across the words but God in the Bible, I always mark them because they're always a reminder to me, I've got to let God have the last word because he does. I've got to let God define the situation, not me, not the circumstances, what they look like, not what anybody else thinks, because just like with Jesus, he was dead, he was buried, he was gone. Nope, but God. So in your life, always remember, does it maybe look bleak at times? Does this look like this? Yeah, but God. Because with God, anything and everything can change. And then he quotes David, verse 25. Now he's quoting from the Psalms. You see now how the Holy Spirit is all of a sudden bringing these different passages into Peter's mind and how Peter goes, guess what? That applies to this. Oh, and and now the Holy Spirit's reminding me, there's this passage in Psalms that I've read, and, and now that applies. And he's saying, David, David spoke about Jesus. He wasn't speaking about himself. He goes on to say, uh, David's still in the ground. David wasn't speaking about himself. He was speaking about Jesus. In fact, you see that in verse 31. Peter clearly says, David, by foreseeing this, spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Again, the Bible, Old Testament, and it's all about Jesus. It's one story. One story, not two. And then notice what Peter says. This Jesus, verse 32, God raised up. And because he is alive, what you see happening in your midst, these people being able to speak in other languages, this is Jesus continuing his ministry from heaven, from glory, because he's the one who poured out the Spirit. That's exactly what he says in verse 33. Notice. So then, exalted to the right hand of God, and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he, who's the he? Jesus. Jesus has poured out what you both see and hear. For again, he goes on and says, David isn't talking about himself here. David is talking about the Messiah, which is why then Peter ends his message saying in verse 36. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. By the way, I need to clarify something. Jesus has always been Lord. Unfortunate English translation. God didn't make Jesus Lord after he rose from the dead. The Word speaks about the Father has set him forth through his exaltation. Think of Philippians chapter 2. Jesus humbled himself, and God the Father honored him, humbling himself and being obedient to the death, even death on a cross, that God the Father has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above everything. Jesus has always been Lord. It's just now in history, through his resurrection, the Father is saying, see, you have no excuse. I have set him forth clearly. And we talked about last week how in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus, by appearing for 40 days after his resurrection, gave clear evidence that he was alive. So you, you see what's happening here. Not only is the Lord moving and the Spirit coming upon his people, enabling them to do what they could never do otherwise, but here's Peter now all of a sudden stepping up and stepping forward and showing another aspect of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Here's a guy who had read and studied the Old Testament all his life up to this point, but now all of a sudden has an even greater understanding because the Spirit has opened his mind. And now he's able to see how these things all tie in to what is taking place. God wants to do that in our lives. He wants you to to diligently immerse yourself in the Scriptures so that when you come to a place in your life where you need that wisdom and that knowledge from God, you've got it and you know Wait a minute. Here's some verses or a passage of scripture that applies to what I'm going through right now that can encourage me and comfort me and give me hope. Or maybe you're talking to another Christian or even an unbeliever, and you can pull now from your knowledge of the scriptures and you can share with them even off the cuff because the Spirit will enable you to do that. He does it with me every Wednesday and Sunday and all of a sudden just pull something out of the blue and go, hey, let me share this with you. This this would apply to your situation right now. That's what we see happening here with Peter. But notice, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and bringing them back to Jesus. So what's the response? That's what I want us to see tonight as we end our study of Acts chapter 2. Well, notice in verse 37, when they hear this, they're distressed because many of them were there saying, crucify him. And remember, they went home beating their breasts. They did not feel good after they saw Jesus die on that cross. They're not feeling very good. So they say, what do we do, Peter? He gives them two things to do, two responses. One, repent. Have a change of heart. Open up your heart so that you can respond. And two, believe. That's what you see in verse 41. So those who accepted or believed or received or embraced or welcomed the message were then baptized. And notice, they were baptized after they believed, not before. And that day, 3,000 people were added to the church. The Lord was moving, The Lord was moving. But now I want to show you this. What were some other responses to what was going on? I want you to go back real quick to verse 7. Here was another response to what the Spirit was doing. They were completely baffled. <laughs> it means to be awestruck, Sometimes God does something and we're just dumbfounded. Amazed would be another translation. Astounded. That's where these people were. You, wouldn't it be great if Christians welcomed being amazed? It's like, you know, like even the Nicole, sometimes when the Spirit starts working, in it, we, we get afraid. It's like, no, no. I, well, yeah, it, it might be a little out of our comfort zone, but isn't it great that God wants to amaze us? God wants to do something so astounding that we're just sort of left speechless? That, that's what God wants to do in our midst. Are we willing and open for that? And then another reaction, verse 12. All were astounded or astonished or literally Overwhelmed and greatly confused. They were perplexed. They were at a loss. They had no idea how to explain what was going on. That'll be another reaction. But then there's others. Look at verse 13. Others jeered at the speakers, saying they are drunk on new wine. They made fun of them. They made light of them. And you know what? Sometimes as Christians, when we're living for the Lord and just out there just in the joy of the Lord, whatever, there, there will be people, sometimes even other Christians, who will make light of us and make fun of us because of our love for God and our devotion and all of that. That's okay. That's okay. But then notice this response, and this is the one I want to end on. Verse 42. What were the people of God, this, this sort of core group doing, Folks, this is what we as the Oasis Church need to be focused on because I think that these are the marks of a healthy church today just as they were 2,000 years ago. But it's not just what they did. It's what the fuel was behind it. That's what I want to focus on because the key word to me is the words devoting themselves. They were devoting themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And I'll break that down next week before we go into chapter 3. But I want to focus, as we wrap things up tonight, on that phrase, devoting themselves. Their devotion was expressed in their consistency. All oh, that we could get Christians to capture that today. To grasp that today. Consistent in prayer. Consistent in worship. Consistent in the Bible. Consistent in church. Just being consistent. Devotion. These words speak about continuing to do something with intense effort despite the challenges and difficulties. Let me repeat that. To devote oneself to something means to continue to do something with intense effort despite the challenges and difficulties. It is to give constant attention to something. And what was it that the early church was giving constant, consistent attention to? The teaching of the scriptures, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And notice, because of that, the Lord was moving. The Lord was moving. Because at the end of verse 47, it says, and the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. The Spirit was there, and they were devoted, and God was at work. And, oh, the possibilities when we open up ourselves to the Spirit of God. Father, we thank you tonight for that amazing day. I can only imagine, Lord, what they saw, what they heard, what they felt, what they experienced on that day. And yet, like many, they couldn't explain it. They didn't all understand it. They were awestruck, they were astounded, they were amazed, some were making fun. There were all kinds of different responses to what was going on. But there was a core of believers who, because of what God was doing and how He was moving, they were devoted to the things that really mattered. And God, may we take away from this chapter tonight and this experience of worship and time in your word tonight, may we take away from that that same devotion. May we, God, ask you to make us devoted followers of Jesus Christ. May we be devoted to the things that really matter, that will matter a million years from now in eternity. And may we be just faithful, consistent followers of Jesus Christ. Use us, God, to magnify Jesus in our community. Use us, God, to exalt Jesus Christ in our community. Help us, God, as a lighthouse in this area to draw people to you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much.